This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hello, I'm Paul. Hello, I'm Evan. Hello, I'm Brian, author of the new book, Universities on Fire. And we're going to talk about Pirate Enlightenment by David Graeber. First published January 2023. Uh, he's, whoever's narrating the audiobook keeps saying, in this audiobook, I tried to do this. I'm like, no, you didn't. You're dead. <laughs> he was dead in 2020. So, uh, it's all ventriloquism. Do you think that, uh, do you think that, uh, I think that those are changes made by the publisher. Whenever it says book, I think it says audiobook. Uh, I've encountered that before where, mm -hmm. where, where you have a nonfiction book and in the audio version, they switch to audio book or, or, or just basically switch the verbs around. Yeah. I, that, that's fine. That's that, that just makes the, yeah, the book you're listening to instead of the one yep. reading. Yep. reading. Exactly. Yeah. I think, that, that, I think it's not legit. I think. Why, why is it not legit? Jeff? Because it's a slippery slope. It's not a slippery slope. <laughs> um, beep, 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 beep. I, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a change of verb to explain what you're actually doing right now. And and besides, Jesse, every book, unless you, unless you self-publish it and do it all yourself, gets edited. So consider it an edit. Um, Brian, do you have opinions on this? Wow, I, 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 I have strong out of the gate already. I have I have many opinions on it, but the uh, this is one that I don't mind. I think it's cute. Uh, it is cute. I, I'm, I agree. I've just finished listening to uh, uh, Graeber's um, biggest, most recent uh, uh, published book, The Dawn of Everything, and they did the same thing. You know, they'd say in the in this audiobook we do this. I, I think that's I think it's different than say what's been done to uh, a bunch of uh, 20th century books that we've Agatha seen Christie's from Christie's and Roald Dahl. Yeah, yeah. It is, it is the same thing, but not so horrible and offensive. And I think that's how they get, get in. They stick their foot, their toe in the door on little things like this. We changed the title. It's not a big deal. No, we changed I think the. the I think uh, it's it's correct that you know publishers do have the control of that. Do. They, you negotiate, um, and but not uh, if you're dead. Yeah. Well, then your estate negotiates for you, um, <laughs> and which is one of its functions, uh, right? I mean, um, and and that can be for good or for ill. But I, 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 I think the toe, I don't think this is a toe in the door. Uh, I think sensitivity readers were the toe in the door uh, for those for the examples uh, that you and I were talking about. Yeah, that's a different thing. I, I, I think yeah, but it is. It's like so. If I went and found the. Uh, you know, I broke into the offices of whatever publisher this was, and I, I look at the, the document, and it says, uh, accompanying the download of this audiobook, you will find a PDF. Like, if that was handwritten by David Graeber, I'd, I'd be, like, fine with that. And <laughs> But I'm pretty sure that's not what happened. But as the years go by, you know, things change. It's like abridgments. It used to be the case that they would write... uh no, it wouldn't say anything about abridgments. You just find out later that the book you listened to was abridged. Then they started writing abridged and in very small font because they didn't want you to know. Now right. we assume everything is unabridged. It used to be on the website. That was one of the things we noted when we were doing reviews. Now everything is unabridged, right? Unless it's specifically abridged for some reason, which is almost never happening, right? They want to make them as long as possible. So it's like, this is already not 
uh, not a kind of fidelity that you have. And I agree, it, it is an editorial decision, but when the estate is, you know, not the guy and he can't be upset, right? Then, so, uh, Brian, when you, um, uh, get the audiobook for your latest book out, they're probably going to make little th- things like that because it's going to be fine. You're going to be fine with it, right? But when you're dead and they're saying this virtual reality <laughs> book about, <laughs> about the future of, uh, universities, right? They're going to have to be changing and changing and changing. So it's like there's a, we have to be more, and I think it's also like a kind of um, making the reader out to be dumber than they are, because I'm not dumb enough to not understand that I'm listening to an audiobook. So if it said book and they changed it to audio, like I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not even arguing goals. that this is a fact. I'm just saying I think that that's probably what happened. Uh, it may be. I, I don't mind. I mean, ideally, if you know, if we had infinite resources, it would be great to have multiple editions available. Uh, yes. you, you mentioned the Christie and Dahl uh, Fleming changes. That's what's actually happening there. Is it's there Fleming the, changes? Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. 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 Uh, so there's so there's so much pushback and outrage that they're publishing you know, dual editions. So you get, you know, like Fleming Classic and then Fleming Sensitive or whatever. Um, mm. But, you know, it, but also, I mean, those are. You know, the Christie is what I think the best-selling author in English for the past four hundred yeah. years. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't after uh, after Bunyan, and so I mean, it's not really a threat for her. For someone like me, I mean, I'm still you know self-supporting. I'm I'm eager for sales, so you know, uh, this that would be a compromise I'd be willing to make. But if if we could have, you know, the I'm addition. always thinking of the long tail, though, Brian. Right? Like the yeah, your so your great 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 yeah. grandkids. Um, you know. They, when they're reading you, they don't want to find out you are uh, anti-robot racist or whatever, right? And well, go, go get some Roko's Basilisk action, there, right? Uh, <laughs> well, in, in my in my new book, chapter five, you know, there might not be any such a state. Um, yeah, that's uh, my worst case scenario there. But, oh, uh, yeah, but it'd be it'd be it'd be nice to have uh, to have both editions. Um, but in this case, I mean, it's it's extra complicated because not only we're we talking about Graeber's estate, we're talking about the fact that this happened really recently. The Graeber died recently, um, which is a tragedy. Um, you know, he died far too young. Uh, yeah, fifty nine, I, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, and I would have loved to have seen what he uh, he would have done differently with this. Um, but I, I think I think the gist is there. I, I mean. I'm coming off of uh, going through the dawn of everything, and and this feels very similar in its style, its puckishness, and in its thinking. Uh, this is a good word for this book. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of tongue in cheek, um, and and also a kind of well, one of the problems with dawn of everything is it doesn't really have a a, a, a thesis to drive home. It's mm. it's more or less trying to rubble up all the you know a lot of current and and it received traditions, and then just to make you think more broadly about uh, you know early history. And I think this is kind of trying to do something similar. Um, yeah, which I uh, respect. I I wanna I I had a conversation with Paul eight months ago. Or maybe it was recently. I, I can't remember. And he wasn't on all our previous pirate books. We did. What's the Marcus Redeker? Uh, Villains of all nations. Villains of all no, nations. I not, no, I was not on that book. So that's a really interesting book because it it gives you uh, hides the uh, it gives you the truth about pirates that is not the you know they're bad guys. It's they're they're good guys. That's in here too. Um. And it's like, yeah, pirates could be rough, 
right? Just like bikers can be rough. But um, there's a uh, truth about them is that they're anti-slavers. Now, slavery is in this book. And I, I was thinking about Paul and what he was going to think about about that if he had remembered that conversation. Because, like, I'm no, pirates are the good guys, Paul. And, and he's like, I, I don't think so. And I'm like, well, you haven't read the- that Mark is Redeker book. Um, this uh, this is a well, very frothy book. Quite saying it, just that they're the good guys. Well, the, he, if, he does one of in the slave trade. They're the tale not of two, yeah. One of his chapters is called "The Tale of Two Terrors," um, and he's of course it's it's this class conflict aspect, and and that, that this actually I think this is a better book than Redeker's book. It's the, as a work of enlightenment. Pirate Enlightenment is more solid. He is building off different traditions. Mm. He's I not wanna, just building off the textual tradition. He's yeah. building off of anthropological writing. And I think that makes it a better book. Um, I think um, it comes off, even though when you read the beginning, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm being provocative on purpose. I'm doing this, the Enlightenment from the periphery to the core idea, which isn't mm. really fully argued here. Right, it, he doesn't quite make that argument as strongly as I think Redeker would have made if he wanted to make that case. Because mm. Redeker's really pushing the, his like his, I guess, pro pirate view. Mm-hmm. And I think by Graeber, by looking at like looking at the fences, looking at the Betsuimaraka people and their interactions with it, looking at women. I mean, Redeker, Redeker when he looks at women, he has two women, like the ones on the ship. Mm-hmm. He's not particularly interested in the communities and the and the actual building of of societies in these areas. Well, it's and I think that makes this a more solid book. But, yeah, but also this is so, like uh, so. I wanna I wanna ask all of you: What's the first thing you remember ever learning about Madagascar? Because <laughs> this is a Madagascar book, right? Um, you know. It's an island off the coast of uh, Africa. It's a big one. Right. It's a country. Uh, there's the a first thing Disney I movie. The first thing I learned was where it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's the biggest island in the Indian Ocean, right? It's 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 a very big island, one of the biggest islands on Earth. Um, it's an African country, but it's offset. There's it has like, strange it has strange trees and biogeography. Yeah. Um, but well, it's also not strange, strange, strange. I shouldn't say strange. It has unusual, unusual uh, ecology. <laughs> They're strange trees to us, right? And they've got strange animals too. What, what are those uh, ones who get up on their hind legs and look around? I don't know, meerkats or something like that. Um, it's a it's a weird place because when we normally think about Africa, we think of oh, South Africa politics, right? We think of Congo and. Uh, politics and, you know, European colonization. And this is a place that is sort of just off of that all slightly. We think of Egypt or the Sahara, but, uh, I never, I never thought much about Madagascar. Uh, not, uh, I did think about it before this book, but not, not as a kid. I didn't think a lot about it. Um, but I did know about this pirate aspect because, um, uh, yeah, I was, I went and did a search and I even tweeted about it a couple of years ago. There's a movie called, um, Against All Flags, which is, uh, I described it as like, um, uh, evil Errol Flynn works, Errol Flynn works for the, uh, 
uh, East India Company and invades uh, uh, Pirate Utopia in Madagascar. It's like Fast and the Furious with cutlasses and cutters, right? Like he's an undercover FBI agent who's trying to break up a car stealing ring. And that was it. That's basically the only thing I knew about the pirates of the of Madagascar. I think they are mentioned in the Marcus Redeker book, uh, but it is so focused on the Caribbean where it's it dissipates and they sort of all all the pirates sort of just disappear, either die or hung. Well, no, or... They're, they're crushed. His argument is they're crushed. Yes, you need to reread that book. They're, no, they're, no, they I'm don't saying just dissipate. They are smashed by the state. But some of them Redeker get a, some of them get away. We know that. But where it's not really focused, like where are they going? And it seems like, uh, and it is mentioned in that book that they go to the Indian Ocean. Now that is to get away from what's going on, but it's also it's also because there's a ripe trade in the Red Sea and ripe trade in the Indian Ocean, and there's this haven. And to me, I think this book is really interesting because it's telling me a lot about a. Uh, a, a people a history of a people that i never heard of before i didn't know about any of these people before these ethnic groups or their history or their behaviors i don't i really didn't i i i don't know much about the colonialism history of madagascar and i think that's quite extraordinary and why is that it's, it's not taught in courses i guess because it was the french yeah i guess but even so we know about some other french colonies right even I, I knew more about Reunion, the island, you know, off of uh, off of uh, Madagascar than I did about Madagascar itself. Interesting. Well, you have a, you have a previous sort of uh, empire building in this region of the world with the Swahili coast. So you mm-hmm. have Arab traders establishing mm-hmm. uh, merchant mm-hmm. networks all along the coast of Africa, right? Like Zanzibar is one of the latest thriving entrepots in that region. But they're all up and down the coast. Swahili is that kind of is a is a hybrid culture of, uh, I, I, of African I mean, traditions and Arabic. I mean, you're, you're going to get. I'm going. I'm going to get the. I'm mm-hmm. going to get the two of you. I mean, you get pirates where the money is and the trade. The, tra- the trade networks established along the East African coast make make it a um, a a good place for pirates i mean look look at today where 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 are the pirates in the world today such as they are the same place red red sea they're, they're, they're in the horn of africa that's where all the trade is that's but also it also requires the lack of of a state yes so well, you, just you, having well, trade you, you, you do need you do need to you do need a lack of political political unity and you need you need a source of um a, a source of wealth to um to um, liberate, to pirate, uh, yeah, to to pirate. So, the Horn of Africa, just like Madagascar before, is 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 the place is the place to do that. Well, I mean, it, you, you, it, you, well, they're imported though, afflicted like like south the South China Sea. Um, like I mean, like the Straits of Malacca. In those regions, yeah. you had a lot of piracy there as well. And actually, a lot of the scholarship on that is good on this fencing issue too, which I wish there would have been more fencing, of fencing, by, by which you mean selling of the goods rather than putting yeah, up fences. Uh, oh yeah, of course. Uh, I, I mean, just want to make it almost clear. start out this book that we need to look at these people, like the the communities that are interacting, because what's this, what's a pirate going to do with? This is a criticism of, of rhetoric, actually. What's a pirate going to do with a shipload of sugar? 
Sell it right. if they can. Sell it. So you need people who can sell it, right? Mm-hmm. So you need networks. And I think some of the scholarship on the Chinese pirates in the South China Sea are pretty good at those looking at the networks in South China. The 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 contacts in in the villages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think that's going on here. You can't eat gold and you can't eat uh, piles of sugar. But you can dress your women, your many wives, in it, and then they, they can take it to market and find ways to sell it for you. Well, yeah, but you need those markets. I was just saying, you, you, pirates pirates can't live in yeah. a uh, in a in a vacuum. They ha- they they have to be connected to uh, the economy at large. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to, I think that's, that's a good way of putting it, Paul. It's not just money where the money is. It's it's you have to have markets. It's the same with taxation. This is back to Graeber's point and debt to a certain degree. It's like. Mm. Why tax at all? He asked that question directly in debt. Why why tax at all if you can just own the gold mines? Well, you want markets, right? Because when you go to war, you need to be able to buy weapons. Well, you need people then who are going to accept money for weapons. So you need markets. You need people exchanging goods for a coin. Mm-hmm. What so do you, taxation what do you, is a quick way to do that. You can look at the Ming Dynasty. They do that. They, when the, all the silver comes in from the New World, they, they change their tax policy to stop um, in kind that's inefficient so silver but you needed people with silver or does why you can't just say pay your tax in silver if the, you don't have the markets there already let's let's talk about the thesis and if you buy it or not the uh, thesis is yeah that's what i the thesis is that uh the practices upon ship which are detailed in that Redeker book and mm-hmm. you know i've talked about just in general you know pirate codes and how shares were doled out uh that in along with the native people of madagascar's already existing behavior uh was was taken up it's 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 not saying this is definitive proof it was taken up by the french revolutionists it was taken up by the americans although he never mentions the americans it was taken up by the as the it's like the pirates are the enlightenment in a certain sense. And I, I know you could oversell that. Uh, and maybe I want to do that a little bit, but, um, I think he's probably right. Uh, but I, 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 but I mean, I still don't see how that was. I mean, he, he goes into how these areas and these things were trend, um, trend, and he, he leans a lot on William Defoe in this book. I mean, I've learned more about the writing source. William Defoe than, than Daniel, I ever Daniel expected. Defoe. Yeah. Daniel Defoe. Thank and you. it's not even, we don't even know if it is not Daniel Defoe. Not a enlightenment figure. Yeah, no, but, but, but he gets attributed to a, a yeah, couple of Johnson, I, the yeah. history of the pirates. So, P-Y-R-A-T-E-S. I'm, I'm, I, I think it's a, a very thin read that the, the, the pirate, that the, the pirate uh, societies here were the inspiration for the, for uh, enlightenment ideals of that led to the French Revolution. I think it's a very, very thin read. One of the comments I made to to Jesse mm, when I first started DMs. reading this is like, it's like this seems a rather when I first read the introduction, I didn't read any of the rest of it. Mm. It's like this is kind of a, a like it's an interest. It's a it's a historiographic question that's interesting to me, but I didn't think it would be interesting to to Jesse on his own. I know you're interested in pirates, but I didn't mm-hmm. think you'd be interested in this question so much of like the the enlightenment. 
what's relation to like one of course the traditional argument is the enlightenment comes out of europe you yep. know and kind of emanates out from there then you had the people say like it that's true but it was horrible right the enlightenment brought modernity and colonialism and all that kind of stuff and so this is like the next generation i, I haven't read all the scholarship on this but it's it's saying well maybe the enlightenment was from the periphery to the core right mm-hmm. and that this book is not going to convince anyone who's not already sold on that. I wasn't. I I, I had no yeah. idea about it, and I I was like, yeah. yeah, of course. His his he's very he's very modest in saying he doesn't say what I just said, right? He's he's well, saying he's it could have been because <laughs> nice. he's, he's not Redeker. <laughs> but. Um, uh, you know, I, I think that that's all, I think that's always true. That it is the, if we look at the course of history, it's always true that the periphery, uh, revolutionizes the core, right? Think of, uh, Napoleon on his obscure island off the coast of, uh, South, South France, right? Right. Montesquieu's first book, right? He mentions it here, like the first book of the French Enlightenment, Persian Letters. It was still written by Montesquieu. That's what Graeber can't really answer i think i mean I, I find the argument compelling i just am not convinced by what we have here i, I think it's uh, i think he makes a really good case for why why there isn't more material and that is what what you do you, you get a bunch of uh half educated at best uh mm-hmm. pirates who are good at um getting away from people who want to kill them and they find an island where women uh, use sex magic or love magic to uh, make themselves greater uh, in their community and uh, make your life better by not demanding much of you other than existing. Uh, and what do they do with that money? They don't build lots of castles, right? They just sort of wear it. <laughs> they yeah. wear their gold. They wear their, their silks. Bling! Bling, man, bling. Yep. And what happens but when you is- do that is you don't have a long history. And, like, there isn't a uh, – it is oral history. It's the general history of the pirates. There's uh, these traditions that he's drawing upon. But uh, it's the same thing for, like, we don't have a lot of detailed oral history of uh, the Hawaiians before uh, contact with the Europeans. We have legends. We have a bunch of other things. We have, um, you know, traditional beliefs about what happened here, and we have the mythology. But what we do know is that they were having a happy life for hundreds of years, right? Making babies, eating food, going, and the wars described in here are very tame, right? Okay, but it's still all these ideas, if they exist, they're going through the minds of people mm-hmm. that have already come to terms with the scientific revolution and have already come to terms with the Reformation. Mm. And... And have a philosophical tradition that goes back, you know, to the late ancient world or whatever, right? Yeah, to the to the and, Renaissance and yeah, and and, and, re, and re, as much as we on the jury here judging this argument want this to be true, you're going to have to like withhold judgment based on this evidence we have. No, yeah, no, no. This it's not a uh, clear cut case. They caused it because right? I mean but, that's why I was interested in Diderot. I, I brought up Diderot um, 
before with you. Uh, so he wrote this book, or like it's more of an article, called The Supplement of the Voyage of Bougainville. Bougainville was one of the Pacific explorers, like with mm-hmm. uh, Malaspina and Cook. So those are like the triad. The French is Bougainville, and the Spanish is Malaspina, and Cook, of course, is Cook. Um, and they're all 18th century explorers. Mm-hmm. And they all encounter the people of the Pacific. And Diderot wrote this, um, and of course, Diderot, another Enlightenment thinker, right? One of the foundations of the European Enlightenment. He wrote this supplement, which is essentially about, it's, it's basically about sex. It's like, he took Bougainville's like reportage on Tahiti and he, and he kind of built around that mm-hmm. a dialogue and things like that. And he's challenging the sexual morality of Europe mm-hmm. in this Enlightenment tradition. Now, this is a, piece of evidence you would use if you're going to make this argument the enlightenment is being f- the arguments are coming from the periphery in some way right mm-hmm. through but it was the point is it was still bougainville in the pacific writing about it and then did writing about that mm-hmm. well i think i think he's only observing tahiti women who are much sex more sexually free than than european women and then having europeans comment on that is really fascinating you know, they didn't start feminism. Tahiti and women did not start European <laughs> Enlightenment era feminism. They well, didn't like. Well, they didn't. Crap they did. Yeah, they. But so there's holes in this argument. As much as I'm compelled by it, I think you said before, like the, we want it to be true because it's, it has a weird romanticism to it. But I don't. I'm not convinced by the evidence that Graeber lays out. That yeah. But he's I mean, not. It, he's it, not going a, as far a, as I am. And uh, what I want to point out is that he says this in the book, that dialogue, people sitting around talking, yeah. uh, has effects. Now, I, I I assume that's true with everybody I talk to, right? Some people aren't listening. Some people have dementia. <laughs> and it goes in one ear, out the other, right? But um, I notice in my own behavior, when I listen to something Paul says, and I'm like, huh. And I think about that four weeks, four years, and it affects me. That isn't nothing. In fact, that's kind of like the point is sitting around hashing things out. And I, I, I didn't, I've never read a Graver book before. I didn't even know who he was other than he wrote a book called Debt and something else. And, uh, you know, Evan that's talked you haven't been listening. You haven't been listening to Evan so much. That's why. Well, he Evan's been he, talking about talking about Graeber for years. Yeah, on this but podcast. I ha, uh, no, I I've been listening to Evan talk about. I said I've never read a Graeber book, and Evan's never done a Graeber on his American writers. Uh, so when I went to look, there's an idea, Evan. Evan, do you have a pirate bibliography? Uh, yes. We, oh, we that was in the chat there. Um, yes. Oh, someone asked me. Um, uh, I. Don't. Um, other than I what mean, we've I could, been doing on this podcast, right? Oh, there's a lot of other stuff I could mention, okay. um, like scholarship-wise. I just don't have it in ready access memory. Um, I have a nice anthology of essays that look at piracy from historical perspectives. I got stuff on Chinese pirates. Um, not a bibliography I can just hand to you now. Well, thank you. I appreciate the citations. Um, but, I mean, I 
like I like I said, I think this is much better than Redeker's book. Uh, that's actually, I think, Redeker's weakest book, The Villains of All Nations. We did another Redeker, right? What was the? Uh... I think like between the devil and the he's just he's just so focused on the sea. He doesn't he doesn't really know how to talk about the land. <laughs> well, this is only only really about the land. Yeah, it... which I which why I think of it. It's it paints a fuller picture of what pirates were doing. It does. And one, one of the other and, DMS you sent to me was about, um, uh, and I guess I, I, I hadn't even really started the book yet. Um, it's mentioned in the introduction or the preface or whatever, when he was, uh, between 89 and 91, I think he went to Madagascar and, uh, quote unquote, had a brief, uh, uh, oh, yeah. affair with a woman there. And uh, obviously that was a lot of his tutoring, right. For, uh, getting interested but, in this subject. But he implies she's, she's like one sixteen pirate or something. Well, that's what Her she was telling him, right? Yeah. He's, she Marie. doesn't even apply. He says, he says it outright that she's, yeah. that she, he thinks she's, she says she's descended from, from this polity, this culture, mm-hmm. this melange, this, uh, and, whatever, whatever. And I think that that's, it, wouldn't everyone be, wouldn't like the whole, well, well, uh, that's a, there seems to be in groups and out groups. Right. And, uh, I was, I was like, wow, these Jews, I never heard of these Jews, uh, in, you know, Madagascar Jews. Wow. Um, I know there's, you know, other African Jews, but, uh, members of the tribe in Madagascar. Wow. Who knows? Like, for those Muslims who yeah. don't have like the Quran. Yeah, 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 the, 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 the unusual Muslims; those are the ones that blew my mind. Well, like, they're all over uh, that place, right? They're all over the. No, no, but but, but the, 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 the quote unquote heretical Muslims are the ones that made me go, "Oh, I didn't, think, I didn't see that coming." Well, off on an island somewhere. Well, these aren't literate societies, so they're yeah, not going to front. Right. I mean. I just wonder how much of that is is going on in the Swahili coast too, of people who would call themselves Muslim but couldn't read I, the Quran. It's happening all places. I mean, people people take religion religions and kind of use them for their own ends. I'm sure. I if any if any of the the three you know the story of Kunko God's Chinese son, I'm guessing it's Evan. Which one? Oh, the God, God's Chinese son. Yeah, that's that's Spence's book on the Haitian yeah. rebellion. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean that 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 guy's religious philosophy, and I mean, and he basically helped start a start a revolt based on it. That it's it's, terrible it, war, one of the worst, and, and, and killed millions of people in the process. Yeah, it's not long ago. I was thinking about was that I I sometimes think I definitely Spence is over blowing the Christian aspect of the Taiping Rebellion. I think it's more like Hakka and popular religion and anti-Manchu tradition, especially among the Hakka people. I would, I would probably, I'd go with Graber's, well, Graber would probably say it's look to the ethnic cultures of resistance mm. in the, among the Hakka people. And that's where it started and it spread from there. How it spread, I don't think it could have, like Christianity could have achieved what it did. In the Taiping alone, even that kind of cynicized type of Christianity, cynicized, synchronized with local beliefs, sort of Christianity. Mm. The core may have bought into it. I don't know. It's been a while since I really looked into it. 
but my guess is like Hakka traditions played a bigger role there. Okay. They're, they're, that's a, that's a sub group of the Han people, but they were always, they're, they're kind of like your, uh, I don't know what the equivalent would be, but they're your anarchists within the Chinese empire that have always been there, but never quite got along with the state. Back, back to our, um, Pirate Enlightenment. I sorry, sorry Jesse. No, I just had to pop that on it. That's all right. Um, I for some reason I I got it in my head that the subtitle uh, had the word utopia in it. It does not. Um, but this is a utopian book in a certain sense. I don't think he's saying that all over the place. But um, when years ago Evan was talking about uh, Taipei. I'm like, mm-hmm. what is this book? <laughs> I, I heard of Melville. Um, the, it's about sailors freeing horrible labor to be freed, uh, where there's easy food, easy women, and not a lot of work. Um, all great things, right? <laughs> not a lot of horrible work. You, you do the work to get yourself undercover, and then uh, what do you do? Uh, basically, not a lot. You just sort of enjoy yourself, right? Go swimming, go fishing, help somebody build a hut because their hut fell down. <laughs> Eat some more uh, food, have sex, make babies. It's Isn't, an orchard culture. It's, it's yes, the bread it's, food is the main crop, and it's a uh, it's it's a utopia. It's not the utopia of most science fiction uh, t- utopias where you know flying cars and I don't know. Ro- gray robes walking around cedars <laughs> and thinking deep philosophical thoughts. It's uh, a, bo- a bodily utopia where war is ritualized, life trading, um, exogamy. And uh, we see a bit of that in here where they they have a big fight and the, the war stops when the two great heroes, the Ajax and the uh, other dude, uh, go at it for a while. One of them dies, and then the war's over. That's a utopia. It's just not the utopia yeah. uh, that we envision for you know for ourselves generally. But if you think about what people personally want, it's a nice garden to cultivate. It's uh, you know no str- strife, no major diseases, uh, no. Um, not getting along with people, having your kids get married and uh, raise their grandkids so you can spend time with them. It's all very simple stuff. It's not uh, necessarily to have space communism, Star Trek utopia. You can just enjoy your island. And that yeah, is the not... The military stuff really fascinated me. Um, very interesting, right? Especially, like, when we... It's something I come across teaching world history all the time. It's like, why do like why does Cortez win? And the students always say, "Oh, technology, right?" Yeah. And then I'll give them a primary source. We'll say like, "Oh, the Spanish invited the Aztec nobility in for a dinner, and then you know, red wedding them." <laughs> uh, and and they're like, "Oh," and then you give them a test, and they're like, "Oh, technology." <laughs> <That's why. laughs> well, um, but it's like it's like you know. two different war cultures. Right? Yes. one based on ritual and uh, finding a resolution. Right, that's what really fascinates me. Talking it's it like out, they're finding excuses to make peace and to rebond to create a brotherhood at the end mm-hmm. after the war. Right, it's like 
it's it's almost like a mafia thing, right? And all the ancestor yeah, stuff. Everything is precedented through ancestors. Creation of ancestors. That, too, it doesn't matter about the technology. When you confront that with a culture that's like, our goal in war is to kill as much of the enemy or enslave as much of the enemy as possible. That side is going to win. Win right? as in uh, Every time. <laughs> get their way. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's not about technology or, or skill or... Or those kinds of things. It's a f- different philosophy of what war is about. Yes. War. What is it good for? Slavery. It depends. It depends. <laughs> yeah. Trading wives. It depends. Depends on what your goals are. Like the the Achilles Hector thing at the end, mm-hmm. at the end of the book. Right? Mm-hmm. I never got back to like re to look at that quote because I got the sense that. Like when he reclaimed the body, he's like, I'm not of his clan, but I'm going to claim back Ajax's body or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And he says, I'll give 100 cows and 10 slaves. But that was sort of refunded at the end in exchange for like an alliance, right? You're talking in, in pirate uh, enlightenment? Yeah, in pirate, or, okay, in pirate yeah. enlightenment, yeah. Yeah. Um, like it, it, I just got the sense it was not really even about the exchange of slaves. It was really about forming like a new foundation, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, so yeah. the slavery that's in this book uh, mm-hmm. is the kind of slavery we see around here, Nuchalnuth, uh, Nutka, uh, where you go into a neighboring place and these fierce warriors show up and they shake their, their weapons at you, steal some women, knock some of them on the head, throw them in their boat, paddle up to an island off the coast of, Alaska, right? And then uh, these women are slaves for about 10 minutes until they're married and they're having kids and then they're part of the society. So it is slaving, but it's not the normal slaving that we think of with chattel slavery where, you know, it's more like exogamy. It's a way of getting wives. Yeah, Graeber talks about this in debt. Oh, yeah. Um, If you ever get around to reading that book. I hope to. So I, I think that that's really interesting. And uh, I like I was saying before, I didn't know much about Graeber as a dude, other than he had written Debt and a few other things. Um, but I I noticed on his Wikipedia entry that he was heavily involved with the ninety nine percent phrase and the uh, Occupy movement. Occupy, yeah, yeah. And uh, I was not following that in the states. I followed it locally, and I knew people who were participating in that locally here um now the consensus making thing that uh was happening there seems to i don't know if he influenced that but um the uh, sit around talk about it forever until we all come to a consensus um is the method and that's actually the method for most primitive societies that i know about especially around here is you know there's lots of chiefs right and the chief's job is to basically lead. He's like a chairperson. They they don't have like war authority. They don't. It is much more like the pirate kings that we're seeing in here and the pirate captaincies. Right? Everybody's equal. Just because you're a chief doesn't mean you get a bigger house. It just means you have to chair meetings. And and you get that job by being old, right? The old chief dies, and he, he before he does that, he says, you know, 
uh, my granddaughter, you're going to have to learn to do this. So I want you to start coming to these meetings. <laughs> it's like, it's like not a, um, it's not a, uh, hereditary king. And uh, as he mentions at the beginning of the book, this is supposed to have been an article or, uh, an essay inside a, a book about the legitimacy of kings. And it is really interesting because we do hear this phrase, pirate king. What does it mean? It seems to be a performative thing. But I'm sitting in a country right now where we literally do have a guy who claims to be a king. And at some point he is going to show up on my coinage, I think. And that's going to be very strange. So uh, that was all super interesting. You guys know more about his uh, involvement in Occupy and what all that means? Because as far as I can tell, Occupy failed failed to achieve anything. Is the Occupy a uh, Canadian export? Good question. Uh, by uh, Adbusters. Yeah. Well, Adbusters is a powerful local or was a powerful local magazine, but only powerful amongst the people who read it, which is not that many. As but a, it worked. You know, you know, the virus got out. and uh, anyway, Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, talk is important. It's true. But it what, ran, what did it get it, us? Well, it ran wild in the in in the U.S. Yeah, until, in New York, uh, especially. Well, no, and if, yeah, and uh, until a bunch of uh, democratic city governments and state governments crushed it. Um, but the, uh, you know, the one, I don't know if we have time to do an assessment of Occupy's movement. I mean, I'm 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 pretty I'm pretty happy with with how Occupy Sandy actually did really good work during that storm in New York. Um, but I, I think the the kind of undeniable effect is that it opened up. A left-wing space in American politics that really had been shut down. Uh, now that didn't stop it from attempting to be shut down. I mean, the Democratic Party keeps whacking at it, um, and you saw. Uh, I think one of the uh, uh, results of it was the Bernie Sanders campaign in 2016. Um, but you know, and I so I think that's that's a pretty pretty good result, especially going against a yeah, Democratic but Party. It's dissipated so now, terrible. right? Like. It, well, it's interesting. I mean, I mean, um, maybe there's a next generation going to come up, but no, nobody's thinking Bernie Sanders is going to save us now. Well, he he does remain, uh, in many ways, one of the most beloved politicians in the U.S., although still despised by many in Clinton world. But he, um, but you could point to a couple of things. I mean, one is that the Generation Z is is far more skeptical of capitalism than their elders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can also point to some weird things. Uh, I wasn't a Biden fan. Uh, I didn't support him at all. Um, but And he clearly ran as a centrist, if not um, on the Democratic right in 2020. Um, but he has done some surprisingly progressive things, um, especially in terms of representation of race and gender in, in uh, government, but also the so-called, laughably called, uh, you know, Inflation Reduction Act is actually the most uh, progressive thing America has yet done on climate change, uh, which is pretty remarkable. Uh, now, he's he's cast dirt on that by the stupid uh, Willow approval um, up in uh, in northern Canada, in northern uh, Alaska. But um, but I was surprised by that. And I, I, I think you can draw some line of influence that uh, Occupy showed that the part of the U.S. was actually receptive to left-wing thinking and wanted to break the mold. There are uh, definitely people who are – who want some change and – Right, right, right. But Occupy – put a spotlight on it. I mean, in an abstract way, we've always known that, but Occupy kind of made it inescapable to people yeah. in politics and otherwise that this, that this body of people were have been clamoring for, yeah. for more political options. 
Well, I mean, one of the one of the leading descendants of that is uh, uh, Alexandra Ocasio Cortez, right? Exactly. Yes. Yes. Uh, from New York, and, um, and you see how vilified she is by the right and anybody, even and and a lot of moderates, because they don't want they don't want her message out there. Um, oh, I sure. Mean, she, I mean, she's she's calling. I mean, we're eight. Who knows what happened eight months from now? Probably nothing. But because I'm a cynic, I mean, she's calling for the impeachment of uh, Justice Thomas because of his. Uh, because yeah. it t- t- turns it turns out he's been getting billions of dollars worth of trips from a billionaire who has a bunch of Nazi paraphernalia, including a signed copy of Mein Kampf, and just, just like by- Indiana Jones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah d- 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 and, well, no, but no, my, Indiana Jones. Is that, that's not Hitler, that's not, not on the Mein Kampf. Kampf. It's on his dad's yeah. journal or whatever. It's on his dad's journal. <laughs> oh, right, right. You guys have I, a fun number for that. But but I I, I agree. And, and think about the Green No Deal, right? Which um, we get echoes of in in the IRA, but also has inspired a lot of European action. And and the phrase Green New Deal is now a kind of you know slogan. Uh, and yeah, obviously Republicans despise it. I mean, they're they're going to keep doing that for a while. But um, but. You know, in many ways, the target of Occupy wasn't the Republicans. They're, they wouldn't be interested. The target was the Democratic Party, which since 1990 has been, you know, solidly center right, um, solidly neoliberal, and Occupy cracked that open. And now, people talk about there being a Democratic Party left, and and that used to be a kind of hypothetical. That used to be a historical artifact, but now it's a living thing. So I I definitely grant Occupy. Uh, having done that now, you know, at the same time, Occupy failed on the face of it. I mean, it was defeated, um, and uh, you know, it had no, it didn't change the politics in the different cities where it took place, um, and it, it, its emphasis on conversation, which is definitely a democratic uh, obsession, um, led it to among other things not to take any action. Mm, um, I think that that's that's one of the the reasons that this book is so scantily documented is sitting around talking it out doesn't unless somebody's taking minutes and most of the time nobody wants to read those minutes because it's lots of people's grievances here and there right um i just i think that a lot of people talk (laughs) and then nothing happens right so you know thinking aoc is um coming out of that i think that's right people wanted people saw the fire of of Occupy, uh, but what's come out of it? Well, I think, Jesse, you read Many-Headed Hydra, mm-hmm. and that's a book of failures. Yep. Like everything is, like everything he describes there is a failure, but the whole idea of the Hydra metaphor mm-hmm. is it branches off in different ways. And it I think well, hail Hydra, explained, as we say. Well, that's right. the thing, right? Is the Hydra the is the, the good guy. The Hydra yeah. is the good guy. It's the, it's the lower classes being oppressed, and the Hercules is the evil government powers crushing them. And you know, not just government, the people who own the government, the oligarchs, basically, is they they see themselves. Their job is to crush uh, people who want to be free, who want to not be forced to do all the things they're being forced to do, and not have the things that they've earned their labor through. I, I think what's so funny is, is that this, the story of the pirates going to Madagascar, finding themselves welcomed for reasons that are endogenous to the, the place, right? It's like, we get status by marrying outsiders, okay. And then these, these pirates find themselves, uh, being, uh, love magicked 
into marriages, and then their job is to do what exactly? Just exist. It isn't to build a you know a castle and equip themselves. Some people use it as a an excuse to you know try and grift some European kings, which was pretty hilarious part of the story and uh, not that the was first very time. Mister Johnny, like 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 the guy who showed up says. I, I forgot who the name of the person was that showed up saying they were an envoy from Preston John. That's what that kind of felt like they were aping that old story. It's far enough away it could be an alien planet, but he's wearing exotic clothes and he's got this uh, exotic uh, story and th- th- there was a story uh, within this about the guy uh, having, him, uh, having another guy sending reports so that he would be able to back up his story about what's going on in Madagascar. And it may make his kingly control of it, which doesn't exist, more legitimate seeming. I mean, that seems like half of uh, half of the startup people are <laughs> saying, "I've got all these investors," right? Just lies, and then they're faking it till they make it. Uh, in in the case of people from foreign lands coming in and saying, claiming to be royalty. Um, the royalty of those European countries are always looking to marry off their kids too and make alliances. And uh, if there's anything to it, then that's a benefit to them. So it's, it's a funny thing that they, their con- contribution to this society seems to have been uh, to make a lot of people happy and to not fuck things up too much, which is pretty cool. Right. It, it also reminded me of, uh, what we, we heard after World War II of uh, the CBs landing on some uh, tiny little island in the Pacific, building a, a runway, and then we find out years later they've got a cargo cult going where it's sort of like, wow, all this magical stuff appeared from out of the skies and everything, life was easy. And and they kind of know, like the people who are still into this, like they kind of know that the, the story is this, but it doesn't stop them from believing in it. Right? You don't have to... Um, <laughs> believe there's a, uh, a, a a man in the sky who knows everything to be a Christian. Um, you just sort of have to, you know, like it. <laughs> in many cases, you don't actually literally have to believe there's a, a guy in the sky who knows what you're doing right now. Some people need that, but not everybody does. And to me, it, it seems pretty obvious that this this documentation in this book shows that this is what a utopia can look like. Uh, and I know it's not in the title, but Libertaria was a pirate utopia, right? That's the the premise behind it. And what makes it a utopia? That pirates get to do what they want, which is be free, not be dead, drink. Uh, some people drank themselves to death, right? Or fuck themselves to death, as mentioned in the book. It doesn't really say debauchery, right? Um it didn't talk a lot about diseases, uh, venereal diseases, et cetera. So I'm not sure uh, if that was just not mentioned because they don't have facts for it or what. But also probably no hospitals, right? Yeah, it, I'm not. I'm not imagining the state of medical care in Madagascar is actually that high at that time. Yeah, at that time, right? But where would it? Where would it have been great <laughs> at that time? Um, yeah. I gotta say, this reminds me a bit in your in your accounting, Jesse, of a um, uh, a fascinating plot line in one of the greatest works of TV ever, um, in The Wire, season four. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, excuse me, 
season three, there is a uh, a plot line. Have you all seen this show? Yeah. Yes, I've seen episodes of The Wire. Sure. It's one of Evan's favorites. Okay, so- Oh, uh, awesome. Another sign of Evan's supremacy in taste. And it is great taste, yes. Well, I was thinking of Sopranos more with this book, but that's appropriate. No, I was just thinking what, what you were describing, um, Jesse, uh, uh, Remy, the Hamsterdam sequence when the uh, the police de facto legalized drugs in a mm. block. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you, if you re- if if uh, listeners haven't haven't seen it, that's that's basically the gist. They, they do it for various reasons, including frustration with how badly the war on drugs is going and with how that has degraded Baltimore. And they try it out, and the and the series follows this uh, for a bunch of episodes uh, until its end. And it's it's interesting because it's you could think of it as utopian at least from if you're a drug seeker if you want to get drug if you want to get high um it works but it's also portrayed in many ways as having terrible costs uh, people are sick people uh are to a degree in danger uh, and the police don't really do much they just kind of come in to wade in and prevent the most egregious violent crimes um uh, that, that sounds a bit like what you're talking about here mm-hmm. in this in this libertalia you know if you want to drink yourself to death you know, go ahead. You know, if you want to, you know, suck your lungs dry with opium. All mm-hmm. right. You know, it's your choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that is a it, it, notice. It's that kind of utopia, the liberty one where you can do whatever you want. And how are people controlled in this? It, it's mentioned a few times how, you know, somebody just will not talk it out if they will not conform and they will not um stick to the to the line about you know how we behave they'll be killed because what are the options but who's to who's to uh come in there and lock somebody up for killing somebody nobody right it's and it it is uh a kind of anarchist utopia and what are what are pirate ships if we learned anything from the pirate codes it is yeah there are no kings the guy who who knows how to read and can read a map and might be able to navigate or just talks real good uh, gets the glory to have his name captain in the same way that uh, a native around here gets the glory to be called a chief. But it it don't make you better than me, <laughs> right? It don't right. make you better than me. I guess that's one of the things that I found fascinating about Dawn of Everything and you know, trying to enjoying the heck out of it. I mean, it's a really delightful read, um, but trying to figure out you know, what to take away from it. And one of them is this, uh, this sense that um, political arrangements are less serious and less solid than they seem to us now. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that uh, the authors have a lot of fun pointing out cases where there's play kingship or temporary kingship, you know, uh, or as other scholars like, um, Oh, I'm forgetting his first name, uh, Scott, who did uh, Scott see, against the grain. He, yeah, he seeing like a book. state. Yeah, oh, seeing seen like a state. state. Yeah. he wrote yeah. another recent book called uh, Against the Grain, which um, actually pairs nicely with Dawn of Everything because he's mm-hmm. he's basically mm-hmm. arguing against the the agriculture to states. Yeah, and and Graeber and Winger cited went through that. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's it's I have stressing. that book on my wish list. Against the grain, a deep history of the early estates. Yeah, someone else yeah. was telling me about that book. Wasn't well, you, Evan? Somebody else. Was like, I, I've mentioned it before. Uh, oh, maybe it was you, Brian. It's like it's like that sounds interesting. 
one of the one of the ideas he he puts out is that you know while you have this history of state formation, you also have the opposite of of people in all kinds of situations trying to ward off the state. Um, and so pirates are one example of that. Uh, and he 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 makes a he puts a whole bunch of different examples, um, including people in remote rural locations, uh, namely swamps and mountains. Uh, and I, I think a whole book on Southeast Asia. Yeah, yeah. What does he call it? Like Zomia. Um, Zomia. I don't think that's his word for it. He borrows it from someone else. But yeah, the um, highlands of Southeast Asia. Yeah, yeah. So you know that that's that's a that that contention is really interesting. It makes us take kings and empires and chiefs a lot less seriously mm-hmm. and see them as more contingent and uh, and and silly. And I I think especially. You know, over the past few years, when my country has gone stupidly gaga for the British monarchy, um, and of course we absolutely adore and worship the very ground our celebrities walk on, I, I think that kind of I think that kind of attitude is fantastic, and I, I you know I love the, uh, the the questioning of that, and that's what shows up in in, in this book that we're talking about mm-hmm. that uh, you know the pirates improvise this um, in combination with uh, uh, people in Madagascar, and that's what we've got. We've got this. You know this playful, improvised thing, which is occasionally lethal, um, but that's that's a very different model of thinking about the state than um, you know those who want to put more faces on your coins, Jesse. Yeah, you know, every once in a while on Twitter, I'll see somebody. Uh, these are usually not threads I participate in, but I see somebody says something, and then the immediate uh, approval is, uh, "You dropped this," and it was a little. Uh, crown emoji. People are always w- willing to give people crowns, right? They, they they say, I admire this person. This person said something I like. Said it in a way I've never been able to say it. Crown. Give them a crown. Now, mm. what makes that person that uh, a king is that they have the approval of some persons. And if that were the case, we can go around the room and say, oh, I like this celebrity. I like that guy who wrote that book. And say, here, you dropped your crown, sir. Well, that's actually uh, kind of like the Cory Doctorow woofy thing, right? He add up all the crowns and you see what – what if, I mean, this is also kind of what influencers are in a mm-hmm. horrible way. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the, the old fashioned one where, uh, the guy's mom <laughs> was the queen and her mom was the queen and her mom was the queen. And then, uh, her mom, uh, his mom, I don't know. It goes back and back. And for some reason, we're still putting crown, literal gold crowns that they inherited on each other's heads. Um, I don't think he's been, uh, my country's king has been, uh, crowned yet. Like he didn't have a coronation, right? But they're still calling him the king. <laughs> He's going to have a coronation probably sometime when uh, it's convenient. Uh, summer, maybe? I haven't heard maybe of Maybe he should do it on a street. <laughs> <laughs> With a bunch of people who are saying, You're not my king! You're not my king! All right. <laughs> I'd be, well, I'd be this, down with that. This is... Uh... Well, this is why, exactly why I was thinking more about like The Sopranos and The Wire when mm-hmm. I was reading this Graber book. Because in The Wire, you have like... I mean, I guess this is the critique of the wire, I guess, is Hmm. you have this, you have capitalism and you have state structures that are the police. These are all hegemonic. You're like in Philip Dick's Black Iron Prison. And the school, don't forget the school season. Whatever the institution is, these institutions are 
unreformable. Yep. They are, <laughs> they can't be negotiated with. So there's really no solution in it. You're just in, mm. in hell, mm. right? It's mm. just a dystopia. Mm. And so that's not really what's happening here, right? It's, I think no, they've the, escaped the, the hell. Amsterdam thing is interesting. It's interesting. That's something I wasn't thinking about. But why I was thinking about the Sopranos so much is their power is so informal and everything is negotiated and talked through. And there's a war and then they shake hands and move on. And it's power there is kind of woofy almost, mm-hmm. right? I don't know if you guys probably have seen that show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's, yeah. Like the person who's crowned isn't the real. There's several kings, right? There's the five families. There's the New Jersey family, and there's and and there's the there's sometimes their they share a fake power, king right? for the real king to hide behind. Yeah. Uncle Junior is the fake king for a That's while, right. but then even like there's no borders really, right? Like that Esplanade project is two families both own part of it, right? Mm-hmm. And how that's actually worked out in practice is negotiated on a constant basis. And yeah, it causes conflicts, but it's it's heroic combat. It's yeah, yeah. Right? It's closer to heroic combat than total war of of states. Well, there's that bit, uh, season one, season two, where one of the characters compares themselves to Romans and the mm-hmm. Roman Republic and Empire. Mm-hmm. The Empire never yeah. ended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Phil Dick's world. We just live in it. Well, uh, the, the, <laughs> we're still in 50 AD. There's the um. There's a a phenomena though that they're li- they're existing they're <laughs> they're existing within a pirate uh, utopia that's hidden within uh, I mean not, I'm not saying the uh, <laughs> Sopranos is a utopia but they're free in a way yeah. right yeah they have to they have to um, uh, hide their activities from the bigger gangster. Uh, that is the go- regular government and who has made deals with itself about w- its territories. You get that state, uh, Pennsylvania, and I get this. <laughs> that, uh, well, that's actually a, in, in midway through the series, FBI pivots to the war on terror. And, right, right. And they let the gangsters kind of go. And they and changed the title them. sequence to remove the Twin Towers from the rearview mirror. I haven't right, gotten that far in it. I think I've only seen the first two seasons. Yeah, but, you know, but the but there's good. a similar you know the the American attitude towards uh, towards the mafia is is very similar to kind of our general attitude towards um, pirates and the golden age of piracy and there's a sense of yeah these are lethal and dangerous people and and we like them a lot they're they're fun I mean if you, if you go to Providence and uh, Rhode Island and ask people about the Patriarca family people just start grinning. Um, you know, in New York, I mean, people love talking about the mafia. I mean, that's part of part of Trump's character is is admiring these people, and we love the movies that depict the mafia in ways that are very indulgent. You know, Casino or uh, or The Sopranos, right? Or uh, um, uh, you know, Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we we don't we don't really take the hardline FBI view that these are parasites and criminals and should be you know, neutralized. Uh, instead, we just, we just like them. And same, same with, uh, same with, uh, uh, pirates or just, I think early on, you mentioned the comparison to, uh, uh, biker gangs. Yes. How yeah. People used to be very fond of them. I mean, that's, well, uh, the, it, it, we have ambig- ambiguous relation. Like, uh, when I was a kid, I was first afraid of biker gangs. And that's because they had noisy vehicles, and I was a little kid, and you know, frightened me. Um, but 
Um, the more I learn about them, the more I understand is these are actually free people who are working within the laws that exist to be as free as possible. And sometimes that means they break the laws. But often the laws are asses. And they're just trying to be free. And if you think about the origin of biker gangs, it's veterans. I mean, this is documented. It's veterans uh, coming out of wars saying, that was fucking stupid. They put on the tro- uh, you were t- Paul's talking about the the Nazi paraphernalia. Uh, one of the yeah. one of the symbols uh, that you would see, they're they're forced to put on um, helmets, right? The helmet laws. Um, so that they'll put on old uh, st- stall helms, right? Mm-hmm. Why do they do that? Is it because they're Nazis? Because I thought they that's what it meant. Turns out they're war trophies. They're it's yeah. it's it's like when you when you shoot down an enemy aircraft. You go over and you carve off the tail logo and you bring it home, put it in your bunkhouse, right? The um, <laughs> the most famous group, the Hell's Angels, famously yeah. missing the apostrophe. These are not tutored men. They've been tutored by experience that shows them the war of meat, the war is a meat grinder, and the government doesn't really care about them. And if you go to, there's a movie called Wild Ones, uh, which is. Yeah. Terrific, mm-hmm. terrifically interesting. Uh, uh, what's the uh, Brando's in it? But uh, it's actually not that good a movie as a as a movie. But it's a fascinating movie. Like as a plot, it's kind of stupid, and th- they don't really know what they're doing either. Like they're just showing us something. Lee Marvin's in it, uh, and oh, that's he, always good. Yeah, he and he he plays like these are basically one way of reading it is they are um, PTSD guys. They're just fucked up. They went up in the bombers mm. and mm. they saw all their friends killed and they came back and they're traumatized. And what do they do? They come back. They can't live the normal life. They isolate themselves in their bunkhouse. They get to the road. They, they got compelled to get on the road and, you know, have that noise drown out the noise in their bodies that they're feeling just when they're lying around. And they drive around and they rebel. And they, how do they do that? In very minor ways, by drinking too much, right? By saying we're in a brotherhood. So much of this book is about, you know, cutting the belly and eating the ginger covered in the blood smeared together and going arm in arm, right? This is all like, this is, how do you get into a biker gang? You have to like hang around for a long time. You have to, uh, do what they do. Um, you do enough, you know, grunt work, sweeping the floors. Ah, he's not that bad. I, I drank with him yesterday. Let's patch him in, right? That's how you do it. It's just a male club of people who, uh, they're, they're not particularly rapists or slavers, right? As depicted in films, right? Generally, they're into uh, gambling, <laughs> which makes mm-hmm. sense. They're into drugs, which makes sense. They're into girls, which makes sense. But the girls aren't like uh, prostitutes that they've imported from Europe. I mean, I'm sure that <laughs> happens too. They are women who are from domestic situations who like the manly men and like partying. Right? Uh, this is actually documented uh, in a, uh, another television show, not as good as Sopranos or the other, because it was an HBO, I guess. Um, uh, it was uh, Sons of Anarchy. Um, yeah. And it, it gets into like where these people came from a little bit, but the second generation, right? Where uh, what happens when you get old, 
right? Mm-hmm. They are a community, uh, you know, in the States, you guys are so fucked. It's unbelievable. Like no health care, <laughs> right? What happens when you're an old biker? Yeah. They take care of you. They take care of you. You won't last very long because you're, you know, you've been riding all day. You can't ride a bike anymore. You feel fucking useless. They, they put you in a van. They say, you know, you carry our junk. <laughs> and then they get your old arthritic knees and put, put you on a bike for one last ride. Right? So it is a, it's a way of, it's like the Elks Club for guys who had more PTSD, maybe. Wow. I've never seen that show, but I've seen all of the It's not bad. It's not bad. That was close uh, was for a, guys with PTSD. There, there's a spinoff that I only watched one episode of. Uh, it was a Hispanic gang that was mentioned on, or, you know, shows up in the show. Uh, I don't remember what it's called, but um, uh, the uh, they address the racism issue. You know, like, this, this is a white biker gang and talk about that. And um, and th- this is this is like out in West Coast where I live. We don't have a lot of uh, East Coast. Eastern style mafia. What we have is, uh, yeah, regular, um, uh, what are they called? The main group? <laughs> regular, uh, regular, regular what? Regular. Bikers. What's the most famous one? Hell's Angels? Like with the no Hell's apostrophe. Angels? No, literally. And Hell's Angels. We have Hell's Angels with no apostrophe because they don't know about that. Um, and then there's. <laughs> oh, wow. That was burn. It, it it's just a fact you know if you're they don't know about it they don't uh, they, they notice it now when people point it out probably not best to point it out they're going to get annoyed um uh, and then we had a we had a gang out here called the united nations which is just a whole bunch of uh young men from any any uh ethnic background it don't it don't matter right and it's like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> but it's because we don't have the tradition of, you know, like Toronto has an Italian uh, community. There isn't a ton of Italians moving to Vancouver at the time that would have been appropriate. So we don't have that. The Jewish mafia that's in Montreal, not out here as much. So, Well, you also had the uh, the great uh, Jewish gangsters in the 20s. Not in Vancouver, uh, though. No, no, but but in the Midwest, yeah. in, the, in uh, Ontario and, uh, oh, yeah. you know. Running booze over into Bronfman's the uh, U.S. And, yeah, a whole bunch of them. Yep. Yeah. yeah. No, there's no And question. the Bronfman's and two of the Bronfman's descendants got involved in the Nexium cult in upstate New York. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, which is I find hilarious, but but generations you know, terrible. Yeah, yeah. This is and this is a case for generational decline, right? You know, you can go back to Vico or something for that. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the, the documented history in this book, uh, which is, you know, pretty poor, um, combined with the, I mean, there's so many references just to the general history of the pirates. It's because it's, it's the founding document for all pirate history, really. But it's uh, also Defoe, and Defoe is just, amazing. they're saying it's Defoe. Defoe, they said that he said it's probably Defoe. What's the evidence no, pro- for that? It's a it's a problem with Defoe is that you know he he, re- he he's kind of like Flan O'Brien. He wrote under a lot of pseudonyms and yeah. and this mm-hmm. is also he's know, famous he's doing this. So. He's doing this right around the time when copyright gets invented, and so a lot of authorship is kind of chaotic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember looking at the complete Defoe project and you know trying. Uh, that was one of the issues. Is what very to difficult, very difficult. I I, I reread um, one of his most disturbing and. Uh, chilling books that feels like a 20th century book. Um, I read it and you'll see why. Um, his Journey of the Plague Year, um, 
which is it's it I recommend it unreservedly. Mm-hmm. It's uh it's about a bubonic plague outbreak mm-hmm. in the late seventeenth century. Um and parts of it are funny. I mean there's there's a there's a great bit where uh, he's talking about how the, the city of London decides to in, lock people up in their homes so they won't go out. You know, crazy historical stuff. We wouldn't have anything to do with this, no. right? <laughs> and and and, and, uh, and people hate it, and they keep trying to escape from their homes. And there's one family that actually like gets together a bunch of gunpowder and chucks it at one of the plague wardens to blow him up, and then run out the back door. Um, but it's it's a and there's there's all kinds of weird things about we don't know the provenance of the book. I mean, it's a first person narrative, so it's mm-hmm. a memoir, but it, it looks like Defoe was too, too young to have been alive at that time. Mm-hmm. So is he ventriloquizing a parent or something? But yeah, it's a, it's an amazing book. I, I really recommend Of course, he's a very interesting book. guy. We did the, uh, uh, me and Connor did, uh, I think it was just me and Connor did, uh, his most famous, what's the one with Friday? Robinson in Crusoe. Yeah. Robinson Crusoe. Crusoe. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. I mean, coming away from that book, you don't know really how, how much to take it, uh, as, as it's supposed to be just dead serious. Cause if it is, the, the guy's a fucking nutter, right? And he's, and I'm not even talking about Robinson Crusoe. I'm talking about the author. <laughs> cause <laughs> it, cause it, it's, it's insanely religious. Um, and insanely not seeing, the irony of what he's doing, you know, he, he, he's turned into a slave and then he becomes a slaver. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Yep. And then you justify this by keep reading the Bible for 28 years all by yourself. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and then he's killing cats all day long. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? That book is really, it's really powerful and a really interesting read, but like, yeah. you can't take it. Yeah. Like, if you take this guy as just like, uh, everything's normal in my mind. Um, it doesn't make, I think the, the easier reading is to, we're supposed to see him as an insane character. And then that doesn't cast so much horror on, on the author. I haven't, I haven't looked into the scholarship on it since, since the nineties, but I remember one of the interesting thing was the very end of the book. So when he comes home and there's always that question, you know, how do you adjust to home? And the first thing he does is goes on an adventure in Spain, I think. Yeah. And, uh, and it, and it turns out that one of the theories was that 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 bit of the story was actually truncated because the uh, page count was limited by the publisher. So you know, it's, he it's, says it's, there's a sequel coming at the end of the book, and uh, yeah, for some reason, uh, Friday fights a bear. Like, okay, you know, as one does, <laughs> right? As one does. You're Canadian, you know about this. I, I fought bears myself, but uh, why put that in the book about a guy like? It, uh, uh, honestly, it reads like a guy who's, he says, I can, I can put you in the palm of my hand and make you read anything. Here, here goes. And he just does it. <laughs> They're sequels, right? So he, so he, he's uh, going I for mean, it. I, I guess, you know, uh, Robinson Crusoe plays a role here too, because that's also very improvised. I, I don't mean the book. I mean the, the world he creates famously, you know, just, you know, improvises all this, puts things together. You can think of it like, um, uh, Jules Verne's uh, homage to that, mm. um, the mm-hmm. mysterious island, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where people just put this. It, it, it's that kind of With Nemo improv. being God in that case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, that's a spoiler, man. You know, but um, mm-hmm. you, you, you know, that kind of improv civilization is 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 the opposite of what uh, a monarchy, a republic, you know, an empire, or what you see uh, in this book when they they it, these pirates they show up on the island. And they integrate themselves into the culture, 
that's that's the that's the amazing thing about reading Defoe is in Robinson Crusoe is it's utter fantasy, right? The idea that you could, uh, I mean, and and it's so such a popular fantasy. You there's an uncountable number of books and movies and television shows and other things that were influenced by it. Swiss Family Robinson being like one of the most obvious ones, where mm-hmm. you know a family of Swiss people uh, recreate Robinson Crusoe. But if you start thinking about it, that's also Tarzan, right? Lives in a treehouse, his parents die, and then he gets raised by monkeys. Uh, and, and it goes on. There's a Robinson Crusoe on Mars, which is, uh, a great recent, movie. But, <laughs> but it's also Adam West, Adam West briefly. Uh, I was actually referring to the more recent one, uh, The Martian by Andy yeah. Weir, yeah. which is Robinson Crusoe on Mars, right? And like, the idea that, uh, <laughs> this is a normal thing to do is you, you go off into the woods or uh, there was a, ki- a kid's book I read uh, that highly influenced me called My Side of the Mountain. It's about a kid who runs away from home for no reason because he doesn't like school, doesn't like being ruled by his parents or whatever and lives in a tree stump and he, and he makes his own food and he, he has a hawk friend who helps him hunt and it becomes, you know, he says, I'm going to stay away from home because they're making me go to school or whatever. And it's like, oh, this is me. I got to do that. Um, so it, it is a fantasy that people want to do. But in reality, what happens, you go some island, there's people there. They have their own culture. You integrate into it. And that's that goes back to Taipei, right? The, the guys get off the boat. They run away from their masters, hide in the forest, are worried about all the lies that they've been told about these <laughs> cannibals are going to kill them and how horrible their deaths are going to be and they build up in their imagination all the horrors and what do they find bliss right women who want to love them and don't uh, don't demand much of them aren't, aren't jealous they conform to that society and that's really cool uh, that's I think this book is really useful in sort of a ethnographic study. Uh, obviously, that's not the intent of the book, but uh, he, he said he wanted to do that and was surprised that nobody had done it and was planning on doing it, but now he did, so he's not, probably not going to do it. Although, he's been pu- publishing a lot since he's been dead, so maybe he will do it. <laughs> Death <laughs> is only the beginning. Copyright uh, 2023, David Graeber. He's been dead since 2020. <laughs> How does this work? Estate law. Um, it should say the estate of, but I don't know what the situation is. You know. Well, um, all I can tell you is I pirated it very happily, and I don't think he'd be too upset about it. And if he yeah. is, he can come back from the grave and tell me so. Back in, in the day when I worked at a used bookshop, I remember we would get copies of um, Abby Hoffman's Steal This Book, and whenever we actually sold one, it would be like a big deal. You know, you'd like, you know, <laughs> Look at this. We're giving money for this. Oh, my God. You know. I never stole a copy of that book. Uh, is it any good? Yeah, it's, a, it's an artifact. Worth worth stealing? Uh, see, in Canada, depends. All right. Okay. Well, uh, we did pretty good on this one. Is there any uh, more stuff? Did we get through all your DMs, Evan? Um. Oh, I, I just, the, I think the one the other thing I mentioned is I did a whole series on my podcast about the Baroque cycle. Mm-hmm. And I think oh, great. Neil Stevenson, um, that's a, that was a lot with, of reading on your part. Huge. 
huge. Yeah, I did uh, millions of it pages. Was probably like 20, 28 episodes or so. Wow. Wow. And you went each about a half time. hour each. Some were even longer. And then I even did a bonus episode at the end where I did something I don't normally do, which like top 10 lists and stuff like <laughs> wow. that. Top 10 characters or whatever. But uh, wow. that series plays a lot with, uh, well, of course, uh, Jack Shafto becomes a pirate king, essentially. Right. Um, Halfcock Jack. Is that a melee or a Malagasy? Now I'm doubting. I remember, I think I, I thought it was a melee pirate queen who kind of make, makes him a king, but I'm wondering if it was Malagasy. Mm-hmm. And I just, yeah, after just, this book, yeah. Um, but, and he becomes like a king in the Mughal Empire. Um, so there's all that stuff going on, and you know, like with the Swahili coast and the Red Sea, all, all that stuff is explored in that book. So, um, what are your feelings about Neil Stevenson are? I know there's mixed feelings out there, but I... I think the broke cycle is brilliant. I, I, worth I, told, I, I when I when I met him, I told him I approved of it, and, uh, and <laughs> it was good because I approve of these books because I, I did my graduate literature work on the long 18th century, and, mm-hmm. and I didn't have time to tell him I did have a couple of criticisms, but but I I, I thought I thought the books were were astonishingly rich, and I've got to listen yeah. to your podcast series on this now because um, <laughs> this is it's yeah it's delightful stuff. I mean everything from like. You know, nerding out about Indian family names to, you know, uh, Isaac Newton being the, you know, vengeful counterfeiting uh, enemy. Yeah. Um, you know, to the evils of King William, I think, at that time. Um, you know, it's uh, to, to a, a, a the cryptography. That, I mean, that's oh, I was God. trying to tell uh, Jesse this because he likes ideas. Mm-hmm. And, oh, God. and I told him, like, if you want, it's a long series, but if you want, like, ideas per page you can't mm. do much better than that book yeah when well, she invents still, uh, uh don't want to do it she invents dude uh, it's not i don't book. want to i don't have enough time <laughs> i listen to your whole show I, I, I all of the episodes what i don't have is you know what's the shortest book in that series like 12 14 hours right Oh, well, do you break it up at eight books or, or three volumes yeah oh really really they're like uh, six hours each probably i mean if eight you times eight, six only well, we oh, we no, could do we could do we could it's, do the first one, whatever that one is. I think it's about eighty hours. Oh my god! Or so uh, if you do all three. Yeah, that's 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 heavy to break it up. We've done that before, broken it up. Yeah, we did that with Dune. Into four books, no, three books and one appendices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do Quicksilver. See how you feel about the rest. All right. Quicksilver is a nice. It's got a. It's a nice story about a natural philosopher who becomes a, uh, a socialite. In the context of, I I I, I remember play. you talking about it. So I'm I'm, it's it's like, uh, it's it sounds like a good book for a guy who doesn't do a weekly podcast, <laughs> on uh, <laughs> on varied books. Right, you doing that series on Heinlein right now. Is excellent, yeah. but I couldn't do that back to back to back because I I'd get I'd want to murder him because I lo- I love him. Well, but he's I, annoying I, as fuck. I I tweeted about that and some guy really got pissed at me. Uh, Chungus, I, I tweeted that Chungus, the guy. I, I tweeted that uh, Logic of Empire kind of triggered me. I think I said yes, and, and I don't think I think I knew why. I think he probably thought just because <laughs> oh it's white slavery. No, he but, just he got triggered by the word triggered. 
Yeah, I think what really bothered me about it is the fact that he seems to be suggesting that slave narratives were bunk. He, dude, he he don't know nothing. Okay, most people don't know nothing. Most people don't read books. He just saw the word triggered and got triggered. <laughs> I think the word triggered is funny, but I don't use it all the time. But I do use it. Um, but mostly really, I'm not humorously. Kind of person, guess, so yeah, it's, I was using it's, it kind it's, of humorously. Yeah, it's, 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 I think what's funny is the people who say you shouldn't use the word because it's too violent. It's too triggering. <laughs> yep. 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 Uh, go, tell, go tell that to a bunch of PTSD bikers, okay? They're, they're just not on the radar yeah. here because because after all, the PTSD bikers are – okay, let me check. We're going to we're gonna get some new PTSD bikers that probably won't be bikers because of all the, you know, Afghan wars. There's something going on, right? Maybe they're all just PTSD homeless now. I don't know. But there's there's going to be some phenomena that falls out of it because there always is. There's always consequences of something. So I think that's the argument I'm making for this book and influencing the Enlightenment, which he does suggest. You can't do nothing without having something happen, right? We're all connected on the same planet in the same solar system. If uh, I drop a feather in my bedroom, it probably doesn't do much to you, but you won't know that. For a while, it takes a while. For a feather. Did you just drop a feather? No, oh I'm God, not in my. Look I'm at, not in my bedroom. I'm, I'm. I'm in my podcasting studio. Isn't that in your bedroom? No. Okay. That's the rest of the apartment. <laughs> no, I, re- I really, I really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed. That's uh, a good book. Uh, going through this. Um, thank you, Jesse. Thank you, Evan. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. Thanks. I'm, I'm just happy it came out, uh, and we got to it as soon as it came out. Because usually, Which is a for us. yeah, yeah, I'm not uh, like you know, I, I'm often accused of uh, only liking old books. Here's proof that that's not well, true. Well, 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 I, I didn't say you only like old books because you only generally cover old books. That's not the no, 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 no. Not I wasn't I even saying you. I was just yeah, saying people, people. You know, I I do have a default to old books. Uh, I think that book on debt. What was the other one? Everything uh, new history. Dawn of everything. That sounds pretty yeah. good. Yeah, you oh, that's, uh, yeah. That's a few, a couple years old. But people could criticize you because you're talking about stuff that's old. Yeah, I mean that's the problem. Is everything becomes old instantly, right? This podcast recorded in uh, April will come out uh, mid uh, near the end of this year. Well, that's that's right. <laughs> it's I, not I love next the, year. I love the uh, word in copyright law, which is that uh, you fix something mm. in a stable medium, mm. and then it's copyright. That's that's the U.S. understanding of mm-hmm. word conventions, right? So, so it's fixed, and I, I love that. I mean, just this morning, I was looking back at my first book. I was I was writing a a, pod, a blog post about um, an interesting form of AI storytelling, and you know, just looking at that book and going, "Man, that's the past. How far back in time is that?" You know, um, but. But, you know, I didn't hate it, too. I mean, I have a soil and green joke in there that nobody gets, but, you know, it's 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 good to have. All right. Nobody um, gets your soil and gene, green joke? Yeah, yeah, no one said anything about it. Well, you better uh, tell me it before we finish. Oh, no, I, I just I just love to say this. I was like, such and so, whatever it is, is like soil and green made out of people. You know, so, you know, storytelling is made out of people, right? Society is made out of people. But, but, I don't know if you ever saw this. I did this ferocious blog post about it. I, I found that most of my students had never seen Soil and Green. Yeah, that's fucking sad, and, man. And, and, and more of them knew the drink product 
than that's really knew, fucking sad. Than knew the basic idea, you know. So this this film literacy. Up. If 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 I ended all my podcasts and started one up, I, it would be on like film literacy and how to, you know, we because we got shit. That's what we got. You go to you go to like Tubi is Tubi is the best streaming service. How fucking terrible is that? Right, <laughs> they they have some old movies. Uh, Netflix constantly pumping out new stuff. Where are the classics? Uh, I oh, I had, yeah on DVD man and Criterion website. Criterion website. I I everybody needs to see Rollerball. Rollerball is one yeah. I I hadn't seen yeah. before, and it was a it was a terrifically interesting movie. It is, and it deserves attention. And I don't get it. It's not on Netflix. It's not on Prime. Uh, maybe it's on Prime now. But it, it doesn't stick because we don't have the movie literacy we need. We need people forcing children to enjoy good movies by teaching them how to enjoy good movies. Give them a good movie. Make them watch it. So this fall for my technology class, I'm setting up a mandatory film series for it. Dude, um, that's great. So, you know, getting the uh, the library will... Well, I forget how we're doing this, but they'll basically have streaming access to each of the films I want for the students. Um, they can watch so. them on their phones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, by by phone, we'll see oh, if uh, we'll see if uh, what Apple releases uh, this summer. What are they uh, doing? They might they might be able to uh, watch them on their uh, glasses because oh. um, Apple's uh, VR, AR, MR project is supposed to come out. Um, so. You know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But I need I need to get going, friends. Uh, thank you, thank, thank you, you all, and uh, take you. care, everybody. Thanks. Watch out! Watch out for the biker gangs. We'll do. <laughs> all right, I think we're pretty good. Yeah, um, yep. time for sleep. What time is it there now? One o'clock. One a.m. Time, time to sleep, Evan. Time to sleep. Uh, what's next, Evan? Uh, probably gonna be a while. It says six column. I don't see you other than that. Yeah, so it's gonna be a while for Evan. And Paul's off you next put week. This, uh, I'm, I'm off it, next uh, week because I'm going Black to House. You can move that up. Black House, the, you have um, it on the list down below. Uh, I think you probably added that to the list, but where is it? <laughs> Oh, there uh, it is. SK and Peter Straub. Yeah, so you have not signed your name to it. That has Biker Gang. All right. I will. How about. Uh, no, no, don't put it there. Let's put it on the schedule. 625 is the next scheduled one. So the next one after that would be July 2nd. That um, right? work. Possibly. I mean, that's around the 4th of July. I don't know. Oh, seven. For the 4th of July. Uh, it's a midweek for 4th of July this year. Right, right, right. But I might be doing something around the weekend and we'll have, I'll have Monday off. Are so. you into Black House, uh, at Peter Straub, SK Joint? No, actually, I'm not a giant horror person. Horror person so no, just I, I, I'm assuming it is a horror book, but. Yeah, just, just leave me off entirely. It's then. horror. Ish adjacent. It's dark tower adjacent. <laughs> oh no, Jesse and Evan. And what? How long is it? Uh, it might be too long. You can back out if you really think it's too long. I don't. How back. long is it? I don't back down. I'm guessing twenty five. Twenty five hours. Oh, it, it's not a sequel, right? That's the first in the it's equal to. Oh, talisman. talisman. You don't need to read the talisman. Are you sure? Yeah. All right. 
Talisman is oh is Talisman by Stephen King, or yeah, is it by both Sheldon. of them? Okay, you just want to pour one out for for uh, Straub, don't you? Yeah, we should. Twenty six. Uh, did you notice that was in this book? Pouring one out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, the audio book is read by Frank Mueller. 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 He he got a head injury and he not a narrator no more. And didn't he die? Uh, he did die eventually, but um, he, he it was motorcycle. This would I, have been one of his last ones. Um, I think didn't they try and do like a uh, uh, didn't they try and market him digitally, his voice digitally because he was so popular. Like take his old recordings and make new AI. I might yeah. have hallucinated that. You may have hallucinated that. Anyways, I have the audio if you need it. Don't. I will be able to find it, but I just want to know. Okay. How, how many hours was it? 15? It was 26. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. I'm going to have to it plan my It goes down out. smooth. It's Stephen King. Yeah. No, he's, he's a good writer, and I like Straub as well. Although I haven't read anything super long by him. Just put it after a... Well, that, Scratch one's a novel. Yeah, it's short, though. I believe it's All like right. four or five hours. So uh, it's just... And I'll have more... Time, presumably, in that period of time. We'll see. All right. See you guys later. Thank you. Take care, guys. Have a good one. Bye bye. Bye. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash SFF audio. Mm, how's everybody doing? Brian, what's, uh, what's shaking other than uh, lots of books being published and audiobooks being published? Well, my uh, most recent book came out um, a week ago, and uh, University is on fire, so I've been doing a little bit of a book tour for it in person and online. I think we should uh, burn a lot of universities. You're right. Yeah, I think you should read the book. <laughs> and I think my publisher would be happy if you, if you bought a copy. <laughs> And, it, and I do, I do, you know, I do touch on some science fictional themes. The uh, the book the book is about the next seventy five years of higher ed around the world, in the context of the climate crisis. So I've got um, you know forecasts of where that might be, and uh, one chapter is called "Best and Worst Case Scenarios." And so you know there, uh, uh, that's some science fiction imagining. So you know I'd, I'd be happy to be on the program and talk about my own book. We're, we have a rule against doing that. Not, you're allowed to talk. Uh, you're allowed to talk about your book on on this on this show, but you're not allowed right. to talk about your book on a show that we're doing a your your show on. <laughs> Try that again. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 you what, had Naval Lee on, so you're yes, you're, you're, but you're not for his book. book. That was his book. No, no, it wasn't. It was no. We talked about astounding when he came on, but um, I, I, so early on we did do a little bit of that, and I found it to be um, not a good idea, and so we started switching it. Why did you find it not to be a good idea? Because the shows were not as uh, as good. It's see, one of the things is if you've got a person right there with you, like Paul, you're always saying how you're friends with all these people, so Jesse, don't say that sort of thing. You can't. That's 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 a gross over 
Oh, uh, uh, never mind. <laughs> I'll, I'll shut up. I'm explaining. I'm Basically, you can you can talk about a lot more freely about a book when you aren't saying that baby's ugly. Sometimes when we don't even know if the baby's ugly or not. Now the thing is, is if it's you know we can say last week we talked about your book, Brian. Um, and we found the chapter 16 was a very ugly chapter and your baby, uh, needs to get some plastic surgery to improve its face or whatever. <laughs> then you won't be as offended as if we're doing it right in front of you. No, I think I'd be as offended. Uh, no, no, you wouldn't because it would be yeah. the previous week. You wouldn't be there. I'm describing it secondhand. And more importantly, um, it's for the other people who are not as bold as I am to say how ugly your chapter 16 baby is. I'm not saying that chapter 16 is ugly because I haven't read the book, but I don't have 16 chapters. <laughs> That's another. No, way. I, take, I take I take your point. I take your point. I, oh, but, I uh, did do it early on, and and I found it to be much better to to get them on later, um, and then no, especially I, I feel, if I like the book, you know. I, I feel the same way. I yeah. mean, if, if I'm if I'm with a creator, then, then I, I slip into instructor mode, yes. and I'm like, the, okay, this is really good, and this needs work, you know. Yeah, and, but you'll uh, be softer. Uh, especially if it's public, right? This is yeah, public mostly. conversation, not yeah. uh, you know, uh, in private. You know, you really need to fix up that uh, footnote on page eighteen. It's oh man, it's so off, like that. Yeah, you know. you know, like people actually read footnotes, but yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, this book is mostly footnotes, right? <laughs> so, so you were you were you were asking uh, what I was up to, and that's mm-hmm. uh, that's that's a big one. And, well, yeah, that's huge. And what, uh, what's yeah. the status of the audio on that one? Because your previous one was through Tantor. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, there's there's two things in the way. Uh, one is it has to sell enough to uh-huh. uh, merit audio, okay. um, and and so far it's doing well. Uh, for it's not as high a bar as it sold. used to be, right? I'm sorry. It's not as high a bar as it used to be. Audible is you know snapping up everything, or it was uh, last year. I honestly don't know. Okay, um, but the uh, um, but the other is <clears throat> trying to get the uh, press to be more accessible, um, and so um, you know I'm, I'm pressing on them for among other things, uh, if you feel free of a pun, uh, more audiobooks uh, for people who are visually impaired. Yeah, um, so that might come more quickly, uh, but we just don't know yet. I can hear Paul's noisy keyboard. Um, let's uh, let's talk about upcoming shows and uh, talk about. Um, any um, any hot topics before we begin? Just a little warm up. Uh, yep. A quick quick question for you all. Um, how does uh, Bing's um, chatbot uh, plug into Skype? <sighs> um, it uh, it shoves itself in your face and then you ignore it. <laughs> I don't know. Oh. It just it just I, I popped up on my phone and and uh on my computer and then eric was saying jesse what what is this bing thing i'm like oh i don't know and he said i'm gonna play with it i've said good luck to you and then he says oh it's got it requires me to sign in or something so he didn't do it yeah well i've got it running on my desktop on um in uh the search uh, in their browser what's it called uh edge mm-hmm. um but uh yeah, I, I, I'm curious. I didn't know it was actually had Skype integration. So yeah, it, it, it popped into all my Skype devices uh, last week, I think it was. But you don't know how to sum it up. I've never used. I, 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 I've never used them, but I've seen the results other people are, and I don't think this is a, very interesting at all. I think this is really interesting for students who want to 
you know, get essays started and really not useful for people who already know how to start essays. We have a, we can have a whole conversation about that. Yeah, I, I but I, I like I haven't signed into Chat Chat GPT. I've only seen the results of people doing so. Mm-hmm. I know Paul played with it a little bit. No, I've I've led a bunch of uh, video sessions on it, taught a class on it. Um, had one publisher ask me to pitch them a book on it. Mm. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm yeah, it's a hot pushing topic. myself into it. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, and I keep pushing it to do things that it doesn't want to do. So I, was, uh, <laughs> I, I, I was I was asking it to give me advice about military campaigns and uh, like, you know, uh, like invading how, places. How could I, yeah, like how could I best subdue a hypothetical Central Asian nation? And I give it a whole bunch of parameters, you know, like uh, this much of a budget. And you have to this much couch it in risk, risk terms. I'm playing risk. And then it'll give yeah. you the real results. Oh, that's a good thought. That's yeah. a good thought. I'm, I, I did ask it to do a Dungeons & Dragons style um, uh, Game Master mm. action. And it was really good at that. Mm. I said, uh, you know, like, for teacher training, I said, uh, give, you know, put me in front of a classroom and simulate the classroom and, you know, have students ask me questions and then, you know, assess my results. And it did all of that. It was, uh, it was yeah. a lot of fun. Could you replace – this is a Paul question. Could you replace your DM? With uh, chat GPT or Bing equivalent, man, it depends on the DM, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Well, they've got a manual, right? You, you've got a, uh, uh, some module that you say uh, B two, keep on the borderlands. You're the DM. Um, I, I'm a fighter, level three fighter. Here are my stats. I, I attack the orc or goblin or whatever. Um, yeah. Could uh, well, it do it? Well, um, there was a set of books back in the 80s done by uh, um, Steve Jackson, I think, uh, yeah. called Sorcery, which were basically kind of choose-your-own-adventure mm-hmm. Dungeons & Dragons-like yeah. books. So and you yeah, basically followed and, and did that along. But I it mean, restricts, restricts your things in a way that, <laughs> like, was, if you restric- want to go to this page, if you want to fight the wizard, right, You so yeah, you're restricted, wanna- whereas this is, you could literally type in, I uh, kissed the wizard. Right. Um, yeah, but 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 unless it has a, unless it, I mean, I, I don't think as currently constituted, it could anticipate all responses or everything that somebody does. It'd be an in, interesting in, test, though, right? I, I mean, I, I I mean, the players I play with could break it, break a Chat GPT GM for a game pretty quickly. I mean, for example, I ran a Star Trek Adventures game two sessions ago. They got into shenanigans where one was painting the encounter suit of another. The chat GTP GP, GM could not handle practical jokes on April Fool's Day. That just would not work. Uh, so, okay. I mean, but, but if you had, had, had it strictly to the parameters of running a known, a known module. Especially a famous one, right? That where there's yeah. lots of stuff to draw from. Then, then, then. Then would have a better shot. It would have a better shot. Tomb running. of Horrors would be a good one because it's it's you know it's very kill heavy. I mean, or or or, or I mean, maybe it could do something like Curse of Strahd, which would be yeah. That's that's a very very it's well very documented online. It's well it's well documented. And it's very complicated and lots of moving parts. If it could do that, that would be impressive. Mm. I mean, in, in in a sense, D and D. Video games or D&D like video games are are basically Chat GPT doing this sort of thing, mm. in, in in a very limited sense. I mean, if you go all the way back to the gold box and go forward to 
modern games like Pathfinder Kingmaker or what have you. That's kind of you kind of have that and they scratch an itch, but not as completely as as someone who can react to some somebody going off of the map. I mm-hmm. mean, ChatGPT won't hand you, handle you going off the map. Yeah, just, I'm not sure. It, it might be able to do that by just dazzling you, you know. But, uh, well, Evan, have you done any ChatGPT stuff? Um, just stupid stuff. Like, I I had it write a, a script for a, 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 a movie called like the trial of hanoi jane with a jury <laughs> jury of 12 boomers and, and it added the detail that all 12 boomers were vietnam war veterans so nice, nice nice um but uh what else so, yeah i'm like movie scripts like i did try to have it write like a sequel to all quite on the western front with danny devito and it wow it didn't let me do that. <laughs> Too taboo it says, a subject. <laughs> he's a, he, it's, no, it said he's a comedic actor and it wouldn't be proper because oh. the, the, the book is so serious. Yeah. So. That is um, <laughs> something to see. <laughs> um, but not, everyone at my work is kind of paranoid about this. And, and my, my position is... For homework, right? It's is If you just teach the kids to cite it, yeah, that's not worse than what they normally do. Just like doing Wikipedia stuff. Oh, you still get and faculty I, and staff who try to cite it as Wikipedia. an interview. I, I said cite it as an interview. <laughs> I'm teaching ninth graders now. I, I'd probably have a different opinion if I was teaching older kids. But yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, no, I, th- I told them cite it as an interview with the chat bot. That's nice. About, what was that? Yeah. We we read a. No an essay. What was that essay in Wired about um, Brandon Sanderson and the author in this 4,000-word essay saying, in this 4,000-word essay, I tried all sorts of things, including having a chatbot or whatever write me the thing. It's like, you're including that in the essay? Wow. So people are de- people are definitely experimenting it w- with it, but um, I made a joke the other day. I looked at an old tweet. I'm like, I think Chatbot has been with us for years. It's just been bioavailable <laughs> because so many people like their ta- their script is like, yeah, that doesn't sound like a human being who's thinking through things. What what is Paul? I I, I, I I put I I posed Chat GBT to ask me and write an encounter between a party of adventurers and Strahd. This is what it came up with. Yeah, you read it. What's that? Wow. I'll read it then. As the party of adventurers made their way through the dense fog of Barovia, they couldn't help Barovia. but f- they couldn't help but feel a sense of unease. They knew they were getting closer to their ultimate goal, defeating Strad, the vampire lord who had ruled over this dark land. Suddenly, a figure appeared before them in the mist. It was Strad himself. Wow, that was quick. This uh, Strad <laughs> dressed in his finery and with a wicked grin on his face. Well, 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 he said. <laughs> <laughs> what are we? Bell, bell, bell. What do we have here? A group of adventurers come to try to defeat me? I must say I'm impressed. But you, you'll you find that I'm not so easy to defeat. The party drew their weapons and prepared for battle. But Strahd merely chuckled. Yeah. Um, chuckling Strahd. <laughs> chuckling Strahd. <laughs> that's a, that's a good name for... Uh, uh, you know, a game name, like you're playing a game, Chuckling Strahd. Um, I had a student the other day, uh, spell the word poisonous wrong. Uh, she put it poison 
ESS at the end. And I'm like, that's a great game name. <laughs> Poisonous. Poisonous? Yes, because mm-hmm. she's a female poison. Um, Poisonous. Yeah, right? Yeah, the Poisonous. It sounds like uh, some some new uh, Blackpink-style musician. You're going to sell a lot of sell a lot of fake albums on whatever website sells out iTunes. I don't know. I don't know. This is not worse than it's pretty bad. <laughs> my last DM than my last DM. That's what I'm saying. Well, the, they're bioavailable. Uh, They've been bioavailable. Years ago, but <laughs> I was always on his case about things like, all right, t- ten goblins attack the you, the 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 people, right? Mm-hmm. And then you kill off like five of them, and then the rest stick around to die. Yeah. It's like they never run away, and I confronted him on that several times it's like these are sentient humans they're not gonna like <laughs> die just because they're in the guard some well, sentient of goblins <laughs> oh, well, and, oh, you, you, you and I, have a gm well, worth worth their salt like for example in the game i played well, last night um well it's also on his case a lot about economics and stuff too like how can the small town afford like, 10 <laughs> when they have like no econ- economic base like, yeah, you need well, to be the know, dm in that good. case that's a diff- that's a different like, problem with you. Where is all this money coming from? Like what's the source? Mm. Was there like a new world with with the Potosi extracting Maybe the silver? Uh, moon crashed into the Atlantic? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That and when they cause inflation. That's and- a different book, Brian. <laughs> yeah, I I told Paul a while ago and then uh, uh I just COVID interrupt interrupted my uh I I was writing a module. It's still written, it's just not completed. Uh about it's based on a, a few Edgar Allan Poe poems, and uh, it's it, the economy. The deep economy behind it is uh, ghouls um, transporting dead bodies uh, for grave goods and and food. So that's the uh, economic base of of the uh, story. Um, actually, I have a graver connection to my last DM. As I actually told him to read Debt, nice. because Debt makes it pretty clear that like barter and Mm, I want to hear know, more about that those, book because like I, in those I heard early a lot societies, about you you had like elaborate credit arrangements. That's what anthropologists have dug up, if we believe Graeber, and I have seen no reason not to. In mm-hmm. that book, at least, um, and yeah, like most of this local economy is not money based. So why are you doing it in this like dark age kind of civilization? You sent something from your also, blog here. Same and, thing with money or, uh, or magic. I was right. really annoyed at magic being common. So I, I just can't do D&D anymore or anything like that. There's just too many things about the whole thing bother me. Uh, in my it's module, like game you start with – you, your character is, is you. You just woke up in the dreamlands. Whatever you have in your pockets is – or on yeah. your on your person is what you have. So if you have a cell phone, you have a cell phone, but it only has a certain amount of battery and there's no Wi-Fi, <laughs> no signal. So you know if you got a if you if you got Angry Birds on your phone, you can play that for for a while until the battery dies. But you can use it like a flashlight. And uh, mm-hmm. um, some of the animals speak French, so if you can speak French, uh, you can communicate with them. Um, so a little bit different than normal D&D. What, what was this uh, blog post you sent, uh, uh, Brian? Experimenting um, with this, GPT? Yeah, this is... Uh, uh, I found somebody who was doing this kind of DM um, experiment, and he was doing it to create business simulations for business classes, so I, I just I just ran with it. Um, so it, it'll... You have... It's it's a long post, so there's a lot going on. But the key thing is to come up with the right parameters. 
Uh, and parameter engineering is the key aspect of any generative AI. Mm-hmm. Oh, mid-journey too, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, same same idea. Parameters parameters are important. It seems to it seems to be uh, th- their impact is going to be similar to me. I think ChatGPT and uh, and mid-journey, but the difference is, uh, I think some people. Maybe it'll be the same. Like some people are really bad at writing, so they could take the chat GPT and, and try and tweak it to make it sound like them, but it'll just come off worse because the grammar will be worse. And then some people are really good at Photoshop, um, and they can fix the fingers and stuff like that, you know? Um, rather than just generate another image and another image, they can go in and say, I like this image. I want to fix those fingers. Well, exactly. I mean, that's what, that's what you do with Midjourney. Um, right and uh, and ChatGPT, Bard, Bing. Um, I haven't used Bloom yet. Uh, I'm hoping to get to that. Uh, but they all they all respond well. I mean, it gives you some text, and you say, "Okay, do that," but with more dancing strut, and and it'll do it. Okay, do all that, but give it to me Shakespearean. Give me only five uh, fingers on that hand instead of. Uh, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to do that with, uh, with the images, mm-hmm. um, but <clears throat> but you can specify it and. I mean, two of the big weaknesses of, uh, of generative AI for images, one are hands and the other is text because uh, it tends to create these weird, like, dreamlike text banners, yes. which I enjoy. It's uh, very, very dreamlike and it is very cool, but um, yeah, it, it's wh- what is it? It's something else. It's not art exactly. It's something else. But it's, 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 it's <laughs> art, Jim, just not as we know it. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I like that. I like that silicon thing with a person inside shuffling around the set of. Oh, kind uh, of like uh, Desilu the Studios, the black hole. What, uh, what they did with all the so-called robots, right? Yeah, little men inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're only the only quasi-human, quasi-robot. Yeah, but yeah. at least but it works out in the end with release. the. The guy go- climbs inside the robot at the end of the story. He doesn't right? climb inside the robot. He goes. He goes to hell and he fuses with Maximilian. Yeah, he, he's inside. He doesn't climb inside. He doesn't climb inside. It's a fusion of man and robot. But he's inside. <laughs> no, but they're, so, they're, he's not inside the robot. They become one being together. But he's but, on the inside. But right? if, uh, he was if not follow, on the inside before. Not, if we not, follow Evan's direction and mm-hmm. say, huh? What would David Graeber think about this? Mm. I think it's pretty clear that that's a form of scrapping bad labor conditions. (laughs) In hell? (laughs) Bad labor conditions in hell. Hmm, I think we're already there. Um, Let's talk about uh, upcoming things. I don't know how much time Brian has. Paul's probably got a show. uh, Or not a show. uh, A chat game. That that thing. And not Um, a chat GPT one. So next week is Breakthroughs in Science. uh, by Isaac Asimov, Starborn. After that, Poison Belt. Now that sounds like oh, Brian is signed up for that one. Um, I heard a podcast not too long ago about that third book by um, on Professor Challenger book about uh, was the the land of the spirits or whatever it's called. Um, and that sounded like uh, maybe less good. <laughs> but I'm looking forward to the Poison Belt. Also added. Uh, that's the twentieth. Uh, that the is the Poison Bell is the 30th, and you are okay. already signed Thanks. up for that. Um, Downward to Earth uh, by Robert Silverberg, sixth column. Uh, are you going to have hit that by then, Evan? 
Yeah, I should. That's probably next. Excellent. I got a. I got a. I had spring break, so I didn't do any recording last week. But I'll, I'll finish up Methuselah's Children, and then I think I'll go straight to Six Column. You're doing great. I love. I love the shows. Keep them up. Uh, City of Singing Flame by Clark Ashton Smith. Um, now there is a Harlan Ellison recording version, but um, it's got music added in. I don't technically have the, uh, the rights to it, so Tommy Patrick Ryan wait, has already recorded it. Wait, Harlan Ellison reading Clark Ashton Smith? Yes, The City of Singing oh, Flame. I don't know if that's going to be good. He's a great narrator. He's a great narrator. Um, only right. problem... Oh, no, he's really good. Um, he used to do, like, Ben Bova books. Um, uh, really? Like, oh, yeah, he's a big friend. He's, like, really good friends with Stefan Rednicki. Or was, I guess. He's no longer alive. Um and they always were getting him in all the time. Yeah, we used to do tons of, uh, he, he generally didn't narrate his own stuff. He would like be enthusiastic about other people's things. And, you know, Ben Bova's not that great. So <laughs> I was like, Oh, okay. I'll, I'll take it if, if, if Harlan Ellison's reading it. Cause, you know, he's, he's got a sort of grating, uh, mean personality. Um, and uh, yeah. sometimes you want yeah. that, uh, for, but for Smith, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I haven't heard that whole one. I started listening to it, and it had it had a musical bed at least at some points. But it is online, and you if you just type right. in uh, Clark Ashton Smith, City of Singing Flame, Harlan Ellison, you'll you'll find it. Uh, Paul's signed us up for Logan's Run. I have. Uh, I'm my my uh, crystal in the center of my hand is black now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I'm overdue. Go to festival. No. Yeah. Oh no, it's um, it's, it's, it's a, a carnival festival. It's something carousel. Like carousel. That's what it is. Carousel festival is a Star Trek episode where they uh, yeah, yeah. they they have the yeah. it, which is actually carnival. <laughs> yeah. There's some sort of lint lint on an alien Divide planet. Flesh. Yeah. Um, Shakespeare's planet. This is one I I had on the list forever. And, uh, the the CIMAC, right? Yeah, CIMAC. And I think it might be the first science fiction novel I ever read, which is a weird science fiction novel to start with. But I I distinctly remember reading it and saying, what the hell is this book? Because I didn't know Shakespeare then. I was very young. Um, so that'll be interesting. Uh, we added Invitation to the Game by Monica Hughes. Monica Hughes is a was a Canadian science fiction writer uh, who wrote a lot of YA and uh, I read a few of her books, and they they were quite good. I recall um, that that one's a VR book from like before uh, VR stuff. So uh, VR before there was VR. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was you know VR in the '30s with uh, 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 who's the guy died age thirty. <laughs> uh, his oh shit. What's it? What's her name? His wife Weinbaum. Weinbaum wrote Weinbaum. a VR story. Um, uh, Charwoman Shadow, that's a novel by Lord Dunsany, and then Scratch One. Um, but other than that, nothing else signed up for, but that's going to take us to mid-June, or deep into June, so that might be enough for now. Maybe we'll come up with a David Graeber book we want to do after today. Well, there's the the Wengrove, Graeber Wengrove one, yeah, Dawn of Everything, is, which is pretty good. Is that footnoted or mentioned in this? Yeah, it's probably really not. Good. But it's long. It's yeah, yeah, I, I it don't know. It might be too long for Jesse. See, this is something <laughs> Graber left on his like desk, right? 
Yeah. Went, so like, it was it, almost yeah. done. But I think the dawn of everything was. His, I think his my capstone? feeling is that's more like Wengrove based on research they were doing. The dawn of everything. The yeah. dawn. I think Wengrove was doing more of the heavy lifting with that one. I don't know how much was Graber's like actual. I mean, definitely he's in there. These covers are terrible. Just font and uh, text and color. That one is probably the most interesting for this podcast because it gets into like the origin of civilization. 704 and, pages. And, yeah, and the diversity of them. I like that. Um, yeah. I was hoping to talk about it today. It's really good. Cool. Um, All right. Well, why like, don't we. Um... Matt Trisman did a whole series on his vlog on Dawn of Everything where he's kind of critical of it. And that's when I read it. And I think I read it first, then I listened to his vlogs about it. Yeah, cherry-picked and yeah. selectedly presented examples, somebody says. Yeah, it's it's got its issues. It's it's like this one. It's oh, well, I thought this book about. was perfect, so I guess... I guess um, um, <laughs> well, I'll tell you my feelings about it. All right, I'm ready. Y'all ready? Ready. I'm ready. All right, you got your recorder going, Paul? Yes. All right, here we go. Uh, let me get my... Uh, I. Oh, it's what always happens. I click away uh, from the Wikipedia entry that I set up. Wikipedia, what is it called? Uh, Graber. Oh, here's another Wikipedia. Just what well, it'll come up. Uh, Pirate Enlightenment. Yeah. So I don't forget. I always forget. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude, you have, uh, we have to refer to your your uh, DMs to me because I was like... That's why you get annoyed at my DMs, but I... I, I, I I'm, I'm glad you're making notes. I just don't don't expect me to respond to them when I am trying to save it for the podcast and I haven't read the book yet. <laughs> Can I mention... Yes, of course, Brian. Yes, you may. Uh, remember, this is going to come out in like eight, eight months, so it'll be an old book by then. <laughs> I don't care. It's a long tale. <laughs> yes, yes, it is a long tale. All right. Um, I'm going to get that other one. Uh, oh, supplement au voyage. Okay. To Bougainville. All right. Oh, shit. What happened? Bang. 